Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Here's the truth about productivity and many of your favorite productivity techniques. They just don't work. Like, yeah, sometimes in like the moment it feels like it works. But long term, when you look at your overall effectiveness, what are you actually getting done? How effectively are you getting those things done? Productivity, or at least the exclusive focus on productivity, does not work. That's one of the key things that my guest today wants you to take away. And let me be clear. He's not saying that productivity and productivity tips and tools are a bad thing necessarily. He's simply arguing that focusing exclusively on productivity, focusing exclusively on what he calls the performance zone is not going to get you where you want to go. We also need to integrate something called the learning zone. Now, we talked about this on last week's episode. If you had a chance to listen or watch that, thank you so much. I hope that you got something out of it. This week, we're going to dive a little bit deeper by talking to the man himself. So my guest today is Eduardo Briseño. He's the author of the book, The Performance Paradox, Turning the Power of Mindset into Action. And he has led enormous organizations and groups of people who are trying to get more done each day, who are trying to be more effective each day. He's led them through his process to help them improve, help them actually be more effective. One of the key things he's learned is that being stuck in the performance zone is a major, major problem when it comes to actually improving and getting the things you want out of life, whether that is in your personal life or your career. But I'll let him tell you himself. Here's my conversation with Eduardo Briseño. All right, Eduardo, thank you so much for being here. It's great to be here. Thanks, Greg, for having me. So your new book is called The Performance Paradox, Turning the Power of Mindset into Action. Uh, this is something, I think probably one of the, the best places we could start here is that conversation around mindset and action. Like mindset is something that is often cited as like, this is where you need to start when it comes to personal development, when it comes to, to growth, either in your career or otherwise. Uh, it's all about changing your mindset. That's like the number one piece of advice that people give. I've always found it really challenging with that next step of, okay, great. I've changed my mindset. Now what? And no one seems to really give that piece of advice. And I suspect because it's a little bit harder to give. So I'd love to to just get your like thousand foot view What's the process look like to go from I've improved my mindset, I've developed a growth mindset, whatever way we want to look at it, to now this is actually having tangible benefits on my day-to-day -day actions? Great. Yeah. And so mindset is often painted or perceived as a silver bullet. Like if you just have a growth mindset, then all your problems are solved or you can be a great kind of learner and performer. And a growth mindset, which is the is, mindset is a belief. It's a, it's a belief that changes our behavior. So a growth mindset is the belief that people can change, that we can develop our abilities and our qualities as opposed to a fixed mindset, which is the belief that we're set the way we are. And the problem with a fixed mindset, I mean, there's, there's a lot of psychological problems that result from when we think this person's a natural leader, or this person's a natural athlete, or this person is naturally creative. What happens is that we don't 
it's not even an option for us to think that we can get better at those things. I can become a better leader. I can become a, a better athlete. I can nurture my creativity. So that's one problem. And then when we encounter challenges, um, we take that as evidence that we don't have the ability. So we tend to disengage, give up, try to find find out what uh, what we are good at as opposed to developing our skills further, whether we're great or not. So mindset is really, really important, but it is not sufficient uh, to your point. And, and in order to really believe that we can improve and to make that true, we also need to know how to change and how to improve. And it's not obvious because a lot of us tend to kind of assume that the, the way we need to succeed and what we need to do every day is just to work hard as best as we can, just trying to get things done. And that's how we're going to get better. That's how we're going to achieve success. And that is what I call chronic performance, when we are just focused on performing, on getting things done. And what, uh, what we also need to understand is how to, you know, make tiny leaps. You know, the leap, the word leap is really important. Leap, it means like leaping into the unknown, leaping into things that you haven't done before or that might expand your skills, things that you haven't mastered yet. And that is how we improve, right? And so, but that, that there's different ways that we can make leaps, uh, whether it can be experimentation or soliciting feedback or taking on a challenge or reflecting on mistakes. And, um, and so how we not only do chronic performance and just perform all the time, but also how do we embed what I call the learning zone into our habits uh, as individuals and as teams um, is, is the how, right? And so we need to understand the how and to, to habit, ha habituate it in order to really believe that and make it true that we can change. And these two things go hand in hand together. It's not just mindset. So the, you just touched on something that I think you do incredibly well um, when compared to the vast majority of people that are, are speaking and writing in this space. Um, I remember when I first graduated college, finding out that the majority of people stop learning right then and there, or if they didn't go to college and they stop learning after high school, like that process of learning kind of dies as part of what we call growing up. And for me, that was unacceptable. My my dad raised me with a culture of learning and, and uh, he's the type of dad that when I, I had a question, go look it up. When I, I don't know the definition of a word, go look it up. There was never a give me the answer kind of moment. Um, so learning has always been part of how I operate, but I started asking myself this question. And now I want to pass it to you. If that isn't just sort of built into how you work on a day-to-day -day basis, that desire to seek out new information and put yourself in uncomfortable situations, how do you actually develop that? Well, first, I do think it is built into our humanity in that when you look at very young kids, that's what they're doing all the time, right? They are uh, they're taking risks, they're experimenting, they're playing, they're failing all the time and laughing about it and learning from it and trying again. They're asking a tons of questions. There's research that shows that um, kids ask tons of questions until they start getting to school, right? And when, the, when, when they start getting to school, they start kind of sitting at a desk and listening to the teacher about maybe talk about things that they might not be interested in. And so for me, when I had that experience, um, looking back at my schooling experience, the thing that I learned that influenced me the most in school is that learning sucks, is that learning is irrelevant, learning is useless, because that's uh, that's what I learned in school is like this historical feature or historical figures that I didn't relate to or places that I couldn't imagine or information that I thought I never would use. 
And so I think we do a lot get, then we start seeing school as, okay, this is the drag that we have to like learn. And then once the day I graduate, just like you said, I don't need to learn anymore. I'm so lucky, you know, I'm done with learning because I'm done with school and that's really tough. Um, and so we can reconnect with, I think that curiosity and the joy and awe of discovery uh, that we all had uh, before we got to school. One thing, you, you had a recent kind of episode that was about the power of just starting, right? Just like taking tiny leaps, like getting started. And that might be, you know, asking more questions, asking, like reminding ourselves that we can never be 100% sure of something. And so listening better to other people, um, like especially for example, just an example of one, how we could get started is just like, often there are people who have different perspectives than us and we just label them we say like they're evil or they're x or y and we tend to think like we know what their intentions are we know what they believe um and rather if we like ask questions or if, if we don't feel safe we can just listen to podcasts of like people from different ideologies of ours and just like listen to what they think and what their experiences have been um, that's an example of like leaping into the unknown and, and discovering more. And that way we can become more aware of other people and be able to better empathize. But so, so I think a lot of us, to your point, like we might have these immediate negative emotional reactions when, for example, we receive feedback or when we fail. And that's kind of how our, our brain is currently wired. And what we can do about it is first kind of reflect on how do I want to behave? Do I want to solicit more feedback? Do I want to uh, make mistakes and learn from them? And then we might still have that, we will immediately have that negative reaction, emotional reaction, but we can kind of pause and then involve our cognition to think about it, right? And once I've decided when I make a mistake, I want to like think about it or ask other people for their ideas, then we might still have that negative emotional reaction. But if we pause and we stay there and we give enough space to really do the behavior that we want to do, then the more that we choose that, the more that we choose the learning behavior, the more that our brain fires, the, the neurons fire in the way we want, and the more that will become easier and easier and automatic to do over time, and eventually we won't have that negative uh, emotional reaction to begin with. Yeah, so learning or learning to love learning, I guess, comes down to uh, uh, learning things that you are just inherently interested in and, and practicing it, building that muscle of of learning. Eventually, it becomes more and more uh, of, of both a habit and something that you, you actually crave. I want to jump back, and I know this isn't your area of expertise, so forgive me, but uh, something you, you touched on with school and its relationship to learning. And you're right, there are a ton of studies on um, how, how children essentially love to learn until they hit school and, and then um, things sort of shift. Um, but what I find interesting about this conversation, there's a much larger debate around the value of the things you learn in school. And, and the most common example is, at least in the US, we don't learn how to file our taxes or how to, to save money for retirement or any of these like very practical things. And instead, we learn um, different areas of math that unless you're studying that you're probably never going to use. So that's that's the common example that's given. As I've grown, I've actually come to to sit on the side of like, I actually think school has an enormous amount of value in terms of like, learning things that don't matter, or quote unquote, don't matter. I think part of the problem that you touched on is 
when I'm there and I'm the child going through it, I'm not interested and I don't care about these things specifically. So I guess what I'm curious about is what are your thoughts on how we help kids to maintain that that culture of, of learning and that love of asking questions and learning um, while going through a system that has to sort of be structured in this particular way for any number of reasons. Um, and what changes would you want to see in the the school system to, to help encourage that love of learning long term? Well, I think that there are some great schools and great teachers and classrooms where they are showing very kind of different ways of achieving that in, in wonderful ways, but they're not being kind of asked by the system to do that. So the first thing I would mm. say is, I think the, the most important thing that schools could nurture in kids is kind of lifelong learning, right? It's like being motivated and effective lifelong learners because when when a person is able to learn whatever they want to learn. Like if if that if they're filing their taxes for the first time, they know how to do that, how to learn how to do that. I don't think that they should have all needed to learn how to do it in school because that would be like you need to learn this and and then we're again imposing kind of what they should be learning about. So I think the be the best environments that I've seen is environments where the the child is directing their learning. They're saying I'm interested in X. So let's go do X or learn about X or do a project in X. It might be, it might have some structure. It might be some collaboration. There might be some kind of limited choice that kids choose from. Um, but as long as they're choosing something and they're directing their learning, then uh, we are, and, and in the process, we're teaching them how to learn effective learning strategies, which again, like there's nothing in the standards that is telling schools, your job is to is to teach kids how to learn uh, and to develop them as lifelong learners. So that's not even a goal, right? But but if you know any teacher or any principal can make that part of the goal as as kids are are learning other things and as a system we could we could guide schools that way. So I think giving kids choice, having them uh, drive their learning, and then the teacher becomes a facilitator and a guide. And and what we're trying to get kids to learn is what are the effective learning strategies that they can apply to whatever they're interested in and that are going to enable them anytime that they're in their life. They're changing jobs, they're changing industries, they're becoming a leader, they're becoming an executive, they're becoming a board member, a mentor. You know, they can continue to learn uh, how to do these things uh, rather than think that they learned all those, all those necessary skills back in school. Yeah, I really love that distinction. Um that it, it's really about the process of learning, like learning to learn, uh, because that is like the ability to learn is a skill. And, and it's one that um, we don't all get the opportunity to practice. Like, yes, we go to public school and that teaches us certain things, but the, the, the emphasis isn't placed on here's how you actually learn. And now you can apply that to anything it's placed on here's how you learn this specific thing. Uh, so I really love that distinction. And I think going back to um, our earlier point of when you leave school, often that's the last time you are purposely like choosing to learn in your life. I think a big part of that problem comes down to we don't know how to learn. We don't know how to keep that process uh, going after after we leave um, so I really love that. Thank you for, for indulging me on, on that convo. Let's, well, let's talk a little I bit say, about can I, can I point out something Please, else that I ahead, think you said? Uh, 
I think it's how to learn is really important. We both talked about that. And something else that you point, you nodded to that is really important also is why learn? It's like you, when you talked about reconnecting with the joy of learning, um, we learn not just, I mean, learning for its own sake because we're curious is, is great. But, you know, when, when we have something we care about and we then that gives us the energy and the effort that we can apply to both learning and performing uh, because it, you know, trying to get better and learn everything that's that's not effective. It's not, you know, it's not something that uh, is is joyful for most people. And so, rather, like reconnecting with what do we care, what do I care most about, and how do I continue to grow on the, those things that are most important. So let's talk about the chronic performance trap. You you mentioned this earlier. So um, it's this idea that if you just keep focusing on performing, you are actually going to end up getting less done overall uh talk me through that at a high level and and how you've seen that play out in either the organizations you've worked with or or the individuals you've worked with sure so first uh, for for people to understand the idea really clearly it's helpful to step out of our context and look at world-class performers very very skilled people in domains where performance can be objectively measured and think about how do they become so good? So if you think, think about a world-class athlete or a world-class like violinist, let's think about an athlete. If they're, if they're playing a, ma- a tournament, a very important game, they're going to be in what I call the performance zone. They're trying, all they care about is winning that game. So they're going to try to minimize mistakes. If they're having trouble with a particular move, they're going to avoid that move during that match. Um, but then after the match, they're gonna to go to their coach and say, coach, I'm having trouble with this particular move. Let's work on that. And that's a very different activity. It's what I call the learning zones when we're focused on improvement. It's a very different activity than what we do during the match. And what we most of us are thinking that, okay, to become a great tennis player, you just need to play tennis for 10,000 hours and then you'll be great. But that's not true. Like if you just play tennis, you actually will get better when we when you're just starting out and you're a novice because you, you're so bad that you, you can just learn from not great learning strategies. But then once you become proficient, you'll you'll stagnate. Um, and so we need to be deliberate about learning in order to continue to improve. Uh, but what often happens, and this gets to the chronic performance trap, is that most of us operate as if we were playing the match to win all the time. And that leads to stagnation. So if you think about, for example, somebody who is a salesperson, right? And you ha- you're in the last week of the quarter, you're trying to meet quota, it's really important for you to sell a lot this week. It would be reasonable to say, okay, this week I'm just gonna be in my performance zone. I'm gonna make as many calls as possible and try to close as many deals because I'm trying to maximize my immediate performance. And that's what the performance zone does. It maximizes our performance in the short term. But what happens is that we we start doing that every week as if it were the last week of the quarter. And then we stay at our same level of effectiveness. Uh, So the challenge is, how do we embed learning habits into the way we operate so that it's just how we work? Is it we're working in a way that's going to lead to more insights and more strategies and more effectiveness, working smarter, not just not harder, and we can achieve higher results over time. And that involves not only worried, getting worried about getting things done, but also leaping and making tiny leaps, just like the name of your podcast. Whether they're tiny or large, you know, leaps. The the important thing is like, we need to be leaping. We can't just be doing things as best as we know how. Yeah. Um, So to make this very uh, uh, personal for for my current situation, 
Um, so I'm I'm committed to making better content uh, going forward, both for the podcast and and on other platforms. And looking at this this concept applied to my situation, it would almost be better if I'm understanding this right. It would be better for me to make less content, but focus on the time in between on improving in some area of of my content, whether that's in the editing or the scripting or the idea generation or whatever it is, whatever areas I feel sort of weakest in, in between making content, you take that learning zone and, and you focus on improving there. So then you can apply it to the next time you produce rather than, at least in my case, I can't produce daily content and also have that space. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, I think that's, a, that's an implication. And I think that it doesn't have to take a ton of time in between the content, but it's about kind of what you do. So for example, um, I'm trying to become better as a podcast guest. And so before we started recording, you know, I asked for your feedback even before I had started. So how did I do that? I asked you, you know, are there sometimes things that guests do or don't do that you don't like? And so that way I can learn, like, what are things that get in the way of a great conversation uh, so that I can learn from that and make sure that I do or don't think, don't do those things uh, that, that work well. Or in the case of producing content, um, like, it, you know, when I, I, I do keynotes, I'm a public speaker. And so I, I always solicit feedback afterwards so I can learn from it. And when there's live polling, I often use live polling. Uh, at the end, I, I often ask people on the poll, hey, how did well this go go for you in terms of rating it? And then what can I do better next time? And we like look at it together real time. And then I just generate so much data that I can learn from very quickly. And it's very useful because what I'm trying is to do to create content that that has an impact on the listener or the watcher, right? And so if I just I can watch my video and reflect, and that's helpful, but that takes a lot of time. And I might not think about things that the people that I'm trying to impact do think about. So like getting soliciting feedback is so helpful because then I can get their, their input on what worked well. And often I'm surprised by things that I didn't know worked really well, were important to them and what I could do better. Uh, so I would say soliciting feedback doesn't take a lot of time. And it's something that we need to do if we need to continue to improve. Yeah. So something I've been, um, I, I did an episode somewhat recently on why chasing productivity is is not necessarily the best move. And instead, you should be chasing effectiveness. Uh, and it sounds like there's a lot of crossover here between this idea of the chronic performance trap and uh, falling into productivity for productivity's sake, as opposed to what are you actually producing? And is that actually anything worth, uh, worth, worth uh, the time and effort that you are spending? What I I'm, I'm really curious from your perspective, why is it so easy to fall into this? Like, why do we obsess over the productivity side without thinking about the effectiveness side? Well, why is that um, it, it's helpful to automatize the habits and systems that work well? Like we want to have performance systems that lead us to do the things that we meant to do. So for example, our to-do list, you know, we, we have an intention of th doing things, we put them in the to-do list, it's helpful to get it out of our brain, and then we can get in the mode of just getting tasks done, you know, one after the other after the other. And that's helpful to be in that mode, but we need to every once in a while kind of uh, look at, hey, like, is this even the right thing to do, right? So like, what are my high priority goals, my, like my high level goals, my strategic goals? 
and how can I get better at those strategic goals? So we want to apply a growth mindset and the learning zone the most to our top level goals. If we ask why, 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 I want to get better at this, how do I do that? It might be by doing something very different than what I'm doing right now or what's in my to-do list. So I think we tend to get into myopia a little bit, into like a tunnel vision around our performance systems. And, and it, it, it prevents us from looking at the big picture, uh, from thinking about not just what are my performance goals, but also what are my learning goals and what am I learning along the way? What, how am I going to change the way I do things? And also it prevents me from looking at opportunities that might arise in the periphery that might be related to my goals or to other goals that that might even become more more like better opportunities um and, and so i think we performance systems are really important and productivity is important but we also need to make sure that we are uh, and, and i love your word of effectiveness i like that word better um but yeah to to to, to lead to more effectiveness we need kind of a harmony of tools and habits and systems, not just kind of one low level, you know, getting things done system. So let's talk a little bit about now. I think everyone listening to this can kind of understand the value of building learning zones, as you call them, into your your kind of like performance process. Let's talk about once you're in them. So I've just, again, just using myself as an example, I've just published a piece of content um, before I work on the next one, I want to take a little bit of time to, to really re-examine what I did well, what I could have done better, what uh, areas I felt I couldn't execute on or whatever it might be. Um, we've talked about one tool of getting feedback, asking people, whether through polls or, or whatever it might be. What are some other tools and, and strategies we can use to get the data we need in this kind of like learning zone? And then once we have that, how do we actually uh, look at applying them? So another kind of tool that I really value is um, what I call kind of building our air sense, which is our kind of integrated knowledge in our mind. Like in this era of the internet and artificial intelligence, we might think that knowing things is less important because we can always like ask Google, you know, or ask, you know, chat GPT. But when we're having a conversation, when, when we are, we're having a conversation here, um, if, if there are things that are relevant from prior conversations you've had with other guests, that are useful for you to bring up in this conversation. Like the question is, how do I, if, if, if we're having this conversation and you say something that's like a gem, that I is an insight, that is a new insight for me, and it's something that I would love to know long-term and to consolidate into more, more, my long-term memory, which is gonna increase my performance, right? When I have a conversation in the future, then what do I do? Because we tend to overestimate how much we'll remember things. Uh, we think we're gonna remember, you know, gems, but then we forget them. And so uh, what is the system that I have to embed that into my brain? And for me, the, the most effective system that I've found is to use digital flashcards. Uh, so if, if there's something that you say that I want to say, wow, man, like if that comes up in a conversation, I want to bring, you know, bring up what Greg said. I put it into my digital flashcard system, which I only use like for one or two minutes each day. But it helps me then you know, get that cold so that whenever it becomes relevant, I can bring it into my brain. It brings me, it increases my capability. So when it, when it comes to creating content in terms of podcasts, uh, that, that is something that comes to my mind. What, what about you? I mean, you know a lot about learning. Uh, so what do you think are other strategies that you're, you're saying you're, you're working to improve your content? What are what things are you doing? 
Well, just really quickly, what's the tool that you use for your digital flashcards? Yeah, so it's a tool that I actually developed and I'm going to publish uh, in like in about two months. I'm going to put it in the App Store. It's called Unforgettable. But there's a lot of digital flashcard tools. Uh, what, what's different about this tool is that it allows you to uh, enter an importance and urgency to each item, which I think is really important. Like it, it makes it like it is game changing for me. But there's there's lots of if you if you search for digital flashcard on the app store, there's lots of options. Okay, well I will I will link one for those of you listening. But also please let me know when this goes live so I can let listeners know that it's it's available as well. Thanks. Um, but to your question, I think that's one of the areas that I. So to, to your point of like my ability to recall in the moment, uh, that's something that I find to be incredibly important as well. Um, when I do, and I, I haven't done too much public speaking in the last like year, year and a half-ish, but prior to that, when I was speaking more, uh, I tend to work best with as little scripting as possible. Um, and, and so my, my presentation, of, I'll of course outline, I know the story, I know where I'm going, so on and so forth. But when I'm on stage, I'm delivering on stage and, and doing it as it, it comes up. And so being able to pull those things from my mind as I need them is incredibly important. And the same is, is true here in the podcast. Um, when I'm recording episodes, if I'm uh, um, referencing a study, and, and I want to pull the study name and author and that kind of thing. Usually that's on the fly. And so I need to just know those things going into it. So really practicing recall outside of this, I think is something that's that's important. But then in the actual learning zone, taking the time to uh, uh, commit those things to memory and my personal process for that is um, uh, spend a little bit of time kind of memorizing it and then go and do something else and give yourself a chance to kind of forget and then purposely reach for it again. And I've found that that exercise of purposely reaching for it when it started to float away helps cement it a little bit better. Beyond that, I, I think when I, I look at like hard skills, so for examples, uh, uh, excuse me, for example, when I'm doing a video edit and the last time I did an edit, I couldn't do this particular animation on a title and I didn't think it was worth it to learn it during the edit. So I'm going to put that into my learning space afterwards. Um, I'll, I'll spend that time to learn it. And then it's kind of the first thing I do the ne the next time. Uh, so I'll, I'll pull on that new skill or new information first, largely because it's the most exciting and I want to actually test it out. But also I think it gives me the chance to whatever issues I run into, which there are going to be issues um, because it's a new skill. Um, whatever issues I run into, I still have time in the edit to work through them as opposed to leaving it to the end and running into issues and not being able to get it done because I'm up against deadline. Those are probably the two biggest things that I can think of. That's awesome. I love it. Um, I, I love those. Uh, and I, the, the, the last thing that came to my mind was also like working with people that I can learn from and also people that I can collaborate with so that um, when we're working as a team, you know, we're thinking about how can we improve as a team um, and that might be kind of dividing and conquering on some things. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, so let's talk a, a little bit about your process with this book. Uh, so uh, again, it's called The Performance Paradox, Turning the Power of Mindset into Action. Why this topic 
and why why now why why does it need to come out right now as opposed to next year or the year after that yeah uh so this topic because when when i uh started working with uh, carol dweck uh stanford professor carol dweck in 2007 you really uh, we... buried the lead here <laughs> was it, i buried the lead oh, yeah you uh, buried the lead you worked with carol dweck and haven't mentioned it until 35 minutes into this interview i did i buried the lead i'm learning i'm learning i don't have a lot of experience on pr so that's one term that i've learned recently <laughs> buried the lead the lead i did i i um i actually when I was working in venture capital and um, I became physically sick and I realized, you know, I, I had a, changed a lot of things in my life and including my health. But I decided to go to grad school to to develop a different career that I really wanted to, that I felt was meaningful and, and made a difference in other people's lives. I applied and I didn't get into grad school. Um, and then two years later, I reapplied and I got in and looking back, that was such a blessing because Carol Dweck wasn't there two years before. Mm. And so I wouldn't have met her, but I was introduced to her. She wanted to um, collaborate with people who wanted to get her message out. She had recently published Mindset, uh, her book. And, you know, nobody had heard of the term growth mindset at the time. But we started uh, an organization called Mindset Works that helps schools foster growth mindset cultures. And she's been my mentor for the last 16 years. So when I when I learned about her work, I, I realized how my fixed mindsets had gotten in the way of my goals and what I cared about. But I also learned something that like very few people have realized from, from her work and the related work, which is that what you said before, a growth mindset is necessary, but it is not sufficient. We also need to understand how to learn. We need to understand how chronic performance and just try focusing on getting things done as best as we know how is problematic. And so I realized that for myself. And then I started um, embedding it into the the workshops that I was doing with professionals and leaders. And, and I, I was iterating, like I was trying different approaches, like thinking about different types of mistakes, which is another chapter in my book. Uh, and, and I was working with different frameworks because people gravitated to our growth max. I said, this is really cool, but what do I do? Like they were struggling with that, right? And so I was trying to, to figure out how, how, do I, what, how do I make this actionable? And I tried kind of deliberate practice, but deliberate practice was interesting too, but it was really hard for most people in the workplace to like spend 30 minutes or an hour doing deliberate practice. And so w once I shared this realizations framework with them, their eyes lit up and, and they had strong insights and they started having strong conversations and about like how they wanted to lead and how they wanted to work together. And so I realized, oh, this is, this is an, an insight that I would like to make available to a lot more people. And so I, I did a te TEDx talk on it and that became pretty popular. It uh, has over 4 million views. And, um, and, and then the book is, a, but it's only 11 minutes. So it's like the core idea. The book is a way to continue to make these insights and strategies available to a lot more people um, and to go a lot deeper, right? So whether it's an individual or a team or a leader organization, how do we engage in the learning zone in, in the 21st century workplace um, and, and in the performance zone too, because they're both uh, really important. And so um, why now is because, you know, I've been growing and developing and now it's now that I have kind of, I was probably, you know, like, I, it was a big stretch goal, like a big stretch project. It was a huge leap. It, was, it wasn't a tiny leap. It was a huge leap to take in this, this book. I've worked for it for three years. 
I interviewed over 100 people to learn from people and to uncover stories and strategies of how the great performers, what do they do? Great leaders, great, great professionals. And the, the book is filled with them. And it's why now, because this, this is when, you know, I've learned enough to be able to create a book that is useful to people. You know, if I had yeah. grown faster, uh, then I would have done it sooner. Yeah. And I, I think to the, the you, there seems to be a trend with your career here of, of, excellent timing um because as you said uh had you gotten into grad school two years sooner you wouldn't have, have had the chance to work with carol dweck um but this book i i think is perfectly fit for the moment that we exist in especially as it relates to the workplace um a, a lot of people listening to this show are working remotely for the first time over the last two three years and a huge problem with working remotely is that we sink into the productivity mindset. Like the idea of I just need to be on and I just need to produce is not only uh, something that we we gravitate towards because we have all of this additional freedom, quote unquote, around our, our time and energy, but it's also kind of being pushed as part of the expectation in, in many organizations where you don't have to commute. So those two extra hours and that extra energy should be going towards the, the task. And I think a book like this is, is perfectly positioned to remind people that, hey, that might actually be producing significantly less value than if you actually took the time to build these learning zones into your day-to-day -day and your, your process. So excellent timing yeah. on that front. Well, that's, it wasn't deliberate, but I, I appreciate the insight and I agree with you. And something I would add to it is that a lot of us have learned a lot from needing to go into Zoom and start working virtually and just needing to do it. Uh, and because again, we are novices, so we, we have a lot to learn just by trying something different. But then we stagnate, right? Because to your point, we just focus on just just doing, doing, doing. Um, and and so what I would invite people to think about is like, you, maybe you did some learning that was reactive to the challenges and to the pandemic and to needing to start working virtually. And how can you make your learning proactive and, and get better at getting better so you continue to grow and drive your own growth? So the book is available everywhere right now. Links to, of course, uh, anywhere that you want to pick it up is in the description of this episode. Eduardo, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Any last thoughts before we jump off? Anything you want to leave the listeners with? Thank you, Greg, for the work that you do. I just uh, love your podcast and your message. And it's uh, great to have co-created with you today. Uh, so thanks so much for everything you do. Oh, thank you. And it was excellent having you. Um, yeah, it was wonderful to have you on the show. And uh, for those of you listening, thank you for taking the time to be here with us and to prioritize yourself going forward. I, I can honestly say that given the moment that we live in today, this is a book that is going to give you a, a number of, of excellent strategies to build into your own day-to-day -day life. So, and I mean, you've heard that here already. So go pick it up. Links are in the description of this episode. And with that said, remember that all big changes come from the tiny leaps you take every day.